morning once again. If you haven't heard it enough already, we are really thankful that you would be here on what is another unique Sunday in 2020. You had enough of those already? You know, anyone else? Well, you just don't feel like, hey, what, what's going to be different next week? But you know what? Uh, as a campus pastor here, I want to say that we are extremely grateful. We really are. That in the midst of a tumultuous season, a season that is unique, things are ever so changing that you are here. My wife, Tasha, loves to say that sometimes it's awkward being the first to the party. You ever been there before? You're like, are we early? Are we, you know, like, did, are we late? Like, why are we the only ones here? And, and, and you don't realize, like, sometimes it's awkward to be the first because you're trying to figure out, like, do I take off my shoes? Do I keep my shoes on? Like, at least when you show up a little bit late, you know whether you need to do that or not, if there's a pile of shoes there or not. But here's the thing. Though it might be awkward to be the first, can I say this? Uh, to be the first are also very important because it's the first ones that get the party started, right? So you are getting the party started. You are saying, hey, by us being here, we went to church. You know what? It wasn't so awkward, you know, having to sing with masks. Is it uncomfortable? Yeah. Is it inconvenient? Yeah. But you know what? We are here and we're experiencing the presence of God because when you kind of boil it down, this is what really matters, right? What really matters is that life change is happening and occurring. In fact, even last week, we had 51 people say yes to Jesus for the first time last week. Come on, can we give it up to Jesus? For that very thing. And we had several others who, uh, again, just were water baptized. And this is across all of our campuses. And so really, I am super grateful. I'm thankful what God is doing. I'm thankful that we're still moving the ball forward and that the kingdom of God, that Jesus is being glorified. But last week, what we did is we kicked off a kind of a teaching that ended up turning into a little bit of a series. And Pastor Rob called a teaching last week, what chapter are we living in? And it's based around the book of Daniel. The book of Daniel is one of the iconic books of the Old Testament. If uh, Some of the best Bible stories are come out of the book of Daniel. And so he's like, what chapter are we living in? Are we in Daniel chapter 1, Daniel chapter 3, or Daniel chapter 6? So one would say, are we standing out? Chapter 3 would say, are we standing up? And then chapter uh, 6 would say, are we standing strong? And so today... I want to teach on Daniel chapter 1. This is what we're teaching about system-wide. We're teaching and how do we stand out to live with godly character and conviction in a world that ever feels so fallen. Uh, Talk about awkward first. I'm going to take you back to a story of my life back to freshman year of college. Talk about some awkward times, right? Talk about some things that you wish you can go back and do a little bit differently. So uh, let me set the picture here on how uh, standing out kind of backfired on me, so much so that, uh, well, let me get there. Let me tell you. Okay, you ready for this? Okay, here we go. So here's what happened. So years ago, uh, it was my first year of college, and uh, what we used to do, and the only reason why we don't do it anymore is because of what I did, uh, is what we used to do is we used to have at the beginning, we'd have like uh, at North Central, we'd have like this like uh, freshman orientation tour of downtown Minneapolis. So in other words, it was a way for the for the leaders of the school to kind of teach us, here's what's here. And so at every station, there would be like uh, an education on this is what's here. Here's what you could do. And there was also a game. Now, if you know me, you know Zeus is super competitive. In other words, I haven't met a game that I did not want to win. Okay, like this is just me. It's, uh, it's, it's caused marriage mentoring, in my, uh, marriage mentoring in my life. Like there's been moments where I've slept on the couch because of this. Or maybe Tasha slept on the couch and, you know, I might, anyhow. Too much. The point is this. The point is this. 
So, so I, I, I get up, and again, it's, I'm new, you know, so I'm trying to stake my claim. I want people to know, like, Zeus is here. Also, I, I mean, I wasn't dating Tasha at the time. I wanted the girls to know Zeus is here. And so uh, what I was trying to do is I was trying to win this game. And I don't care if I'm winning a little pack of Smarties or I'm winning a, a trip to somewhere. Like, I want to win it. I want the bragging rights. And so we came up to the Minnesota Orchestra House. I think we have a picture of it in just a moment. Do we have that available? Uh, maybe it'll come up. There it is. Uh, I wanted to show you because you see how close that sidewalk is to the road. And so this was uh, another weekday in downtown Minneapolis, super busy. There's a lot, a lot of cars coming by. And so we came up, our teachers are teaching us about what, or our, our leaders are teaching us what, what's there and what you could do there, what's fun, all this stuff. And they're like, all right, who's ready to play the game? We need three people. I'm like, I'll be one of the three, right? So I come up and they're like, okay, so what we're going to do is you're going to go from point A to point B. So we're going to be the finish line back here. And then you're going to have to run. I'm like, oh, sprint, got this. Let's do this. Nothing, but here's the catch. It's the old baseball, you know, baseball bat thing. You know, you kind of have to spin, count to 10. Then at 10, you run. And when I spin, I spin. Okay, so, all right, here we go. Ready, set, go. All right, one, two, spin and spin and three, four, spin and spin and five. You know, I, I get to seven, eight, spin and spin and nine, 10, go. I start booking it, you know, like a cheetah on a gazelle. Like I am running for this thing. I'm getting my dinner. And so anyhow, so what ended up happening is instead of running straight forward, Zeus is running sideways. So much so that I end up in the street on my back during incoming traffic. Now, let me tell you about standing out. I almost stand dead actually in that moment and my effort to try to stand out and uh I'm not kidding I'm not even dramatizing this there was people who are literally crying these girls were like oh my goodness we almost saw someone die and stuff and uh let's just say that thing that tour thing never didn't exist anymore after that because somehow it got back to school leadership and the administration and says yeah we can't do that ever again and so uh if you went to North Central it's like wait I never did that that's because of me. You never did it because of me. But anyhow, that is a bad example of standing out because it's the classic of trying to do the right thing in the wrong way. And here's what we know about this story of Daniel is that uh, we know what's going on in this time is that Jerusalem is, again, once again being attacked by the, by the kingdom of Babylon. And the Israelites are taken into captivity by these people and taken to a foreign land. For those of you who are wondering, that's modern-day Iraq. And so in this time, Babylon was also where the Tower of Babel was built. If you're wondering what the Tower of Babel was built, go home, do some research. It's actually kind of fascinating to kind of hear a little bit more about it. But um, we hear a little bit more of, of the Tower of Babel in Genesis, actually at the beginning, in Genesis chapter 11, verse 4, it says, when, Then they said, Come, let's build a great city for ourselves with a tower that reaches to the sky that will make us famous and keep us from being scattered all over the world. So the Babylonians had this idea to say, hey, we are going to let people know that we are the strongest, that we are going to go and overtake nations, we're going to go overtake land, and we're going to take, those in, take them in captivity, take some of their best, but we are going to be the ones. And what happened is, though, the Babylonians did not believe in the ultimate true God that is Yahweh. They believed in something else. And the Babylonian mindset, if they had a motto, was this, I am and there's none beside me. In other words, there's nobody else. Babylonians lowers God to elevate themselves. They're self-adoring, they're self-building, and they're self-indulging. And to me, I read this story, we read this story, and this is a time of shaking in Judah. Judah was the tribe in Jerusalem who had basically responsibility and oversight of protecting God's presence there at the temple. 
And at that time, God's, you know, they're, they're, they're taken away. And so this is time of shaking, this time of sifting, this time of pruning, this time of separating. And it was a great time that Daniel and his friends were called to lead. And I don't know about you, but I'm reading the story, Daniel chapter one. I'm like, man, there's, it's eerily reminiscent of maybe some of the things that we're currently navigating. Because how many of us know the Bible wasn't just written for a time, long time ago. The Bible is still applicable and alive and active today. If we allow it, not just for us to read it, but allow the Bible to read us. And so the Babylonian mindset was, was this. It was all about bringing confusion. It was all about changing loyalties. It was all about doing just enough to get you off, off balance, to get you off the line where all of a sudden you're, you found your way of drifting. But the Babylon was growing so fast that the king said, hey, we need more people. We need, we need to go get the sharpest, the best from all these other nations, and we need to take them captive. And so the king brought foreign men to a palace to undergo a three-year language and literature training program, an indoctrination, if you will. This time of saying, hey, you got to go renounce everything else because now I'm your king. Now you worship what we worship. And so they were taking people. And so the king ordered that they, so these people were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, they were selected, but they were also given new names. Some of them, we know Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Daniel was Belteshar. But the king ordered that they'd be given the best food and drink from his kitchen, which went against what God allowed them to eat. It would have defiled them. If you've ever been to Israel, you would know that the Jewish people, they have very, uh, they, 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 they adhere to a very strict guidelines, especially even sometimes in the things that they eat. And so especially then they were saying, hey, you cannot, you cannot do this. Like if you were to eat some of these things, you would defile the very thing that you believe for. So let me read to you out of Daniel chapter 1, verse 8. It's a long passage, but this is all going to apply. Daniel chapter, eight, uh, chapter 1, verse 8, it says, but Daniel was determined not to defile himself by eating the food and, and wine given to them by the king. He asked the chief of staff for permission not to eat these unacceptable foods. Now, God had given the chief of staff both respect and affection for Daniel. But he responded, I am afraid of my lord, the king, King Nebuchadnezzar, who has ordered that you, Daniel, and your friends eat this food and wine. If you become pale and thin compared to these other youths your age, I'm afraid, afraid that the king will have me beheaded. So Daniel spoke with the attendant who had been given the appointment by the chief of staff to look, over, uh, to look over Daniel and his friends. He says, please test us for 10 days on a diet of vegetables and water, Daniel said. And at the end of these 10 days, look how we compared to the other young men who eat of the king's food. Then make your decisions on light of what you see. And the attendant agreed to Daniel's suggestion and tested him for 10 days. And uh, skipping a few uh, verses here, but it says they looked really well after, in fact, in fact even better than, uh, than they did initially after these 10 days. And so God gave these four men an unusual aptitude for standing up and standing out for understanding every aspect of literature and wisdom. And that God gave Daniel this special ability to interpret the meanings of visions and dreams. When the training period ordered by the king was completed, the chief of staff brought all the young men to King Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them and no one impressed them as much as Daniel and his friends. And so they entered the royal service whenever he, the king consulted them in the matter of requiring wisdom, balance, judgment, and found them ten times much more capable than any king, than any of the magicians and enchanters in the entire kingdom. 
And so I'm reading this story. I'm like, okay, so what is, what, what, what is the thing that we need to take from this story? What is the thing that I felt like God was speaking in my heart? And I, I felt like he kind of gave me, he did. He gave me three C's. And just uh, so if you're keeping notes, here's what you want to keep track of. So the first one is I, I believe that there is a great deal, an example of conviction in this story. In fact, in, and if you look at it, verse 8, it says Daniel was determined. And one of my friends, one of my coaches actually said to me, he says, Zeus, uh, you want to send out, you want to have a backbone, you got to have conviction. Conviction is defined as something a person deeply believes is true despite the changing circumstances. Sound familiar? And also the potential consequences. And so we are saying, you know what, we, we know that we're taking, like in this particular case, they were being held captives in a pagan culture. And Daniel's friends were able to stand firm in their faith and say, hey, you know what, like I am determined, like I have this conviction. And I really believe that if one of the ways you want to activate your faith, you got to have conviction. Because this world is telling you, hey, you need to do this. Hey, you need to do that. Hey, you need to believe in this. And how many of us know that? Well, that's not what we do. We believe in the one true God. We believe in the holy scriptures that have been written. We believe that the Holy Spirit is still alive and active and speaking us to to this very day. And we see that this this conviction was actually a very much a theme throughout throughout the Bible. We see it in Moses with the prince of Egypt. We see it in Noah building an ark when at that point there was no storms. I mean, there was no reason for him to build an ark. There was was Esther who was a brave queen. There's Nehemiah who was a cupbearer. And Hebrews chapter 11 says this about conviction. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the people of old received their commendation. Now, think about that, the things unseen. How often how do we go through life sometimes, we've been instructed to do something, but you don't know what the result is going to be. And so sometimes we shrink away because we don't know what's on the other side of our decision. And yet the scriptures here are telling us, hey, it's the assurance and the things hope for the conviction of the things unseen. Yes. See, the Daniel and the group here had no choice but to look past their present reality and look forward. Because I really believe, in fact, this was, they were surveyed. Uh, oftentimes what we do right now is we make decisions based on our emotions. Now hear me out really quick. Is, is, am I saying, is Pastor Zeus saying that you can't have emotions and that we should just be, no, 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 I'm not saying that. But I'm saying that oftentimes if we're not careful and emotions not uh, filtered through the fruits of the spirit and all that stuff can lead us into a place that we don't belong. Oftentimes my emotions causes me to say or do things that I don't really mean. But out of the emotion or the heat of that moment, I will do things. And yet what we know is that we are relying on sometimes temporary emotions. In fact, people were surveyed and it says 80% of students right now, both in high school and also in, 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 in higher education institutions, it says 80% of students make decisions based solely on emotions. Again, emotions are contingent on variables and outside forces. Conviction is determined by God. Do you have conviction? Are you making that? The second point is this, is courage. So if conviction is the why, then courage is the how. Courage is the how. In verse, uh, verse 12 of Daniel chapter 1, it says, please test us. You know, a belief is something you argue, out, argue about, but a conviction is something you will die for. And to lay your life, you have to have a measure of courage. One of the things I love doing, in fact, I'm inspired by it. I love talking to people who've been in the military. I love reading about military and just things because these are people who in the face of adversity have had to make a courageous choice. 
who, again, who have had to go into, into areas, into battles that they didn't want to be in, but they knew that was their fight to fight at that point. And to me, I'm like, man, I want to have this kind of courage that no matter what happens, I am willing to die for this. In fact, I'm willing to stand up here today to say, you know what, I'm willing to die for my faith. I'm willing to die for what God has put in my heart. I'm willing to, like, if God, if, if I, God would call me to the mission field and call us and our family to do that, like, I'm willing to do that. Because ultimately, to me, I think of the reward of heaven far greater than any reward this earth could ever give me. But that's my conviction, and it's my courage having to live that out. So when crisis hits, you have a choice. You have a choice. How do you respond? How do you respond? How does Pam respond? Bill, how do you respond? Luke, how do you respond? Gabby, how do you respond? Jesse, how do you respond? How do we respond? We have a choice to make. That's part of stewarding what God has put in our lives. But it's up to courage and the conviction in us to be able to move that forward. Because let me tell you what. Politics, yeah, it's going to happen. Social things, yeah, it's going to happen. Uh, cultural things, yep. Religious things, yep. But the people of God, how do we react? And my heart would be that our church, River Valley, Shakopee Campus here, would react out of courage, not arrogance. Now, notice I said courage, not arrogance, because arrogance will get us in trouble. I've seen people in the light of being courageous, in the light of being Christ followers, be super arrogant and unteachable. But the person who is teachable, the person who has courage, also has courage to hear the things they want to hear and hear the things you don't want to hear. And that's what we are. We'll lead in courage, but not arrogance, because we are teachable. We still want to learn. Deuteronomy chapter 31, verse 6, it says, So be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid and do not panic before them, for the Lord your God will personally go ahead of you and will neither fail you or abandon you. And so when you think of Daniel and his friends, they responded differently. They were not afraid. They did not panic. They were courageous, but they knew what the stakes were. And maybe, and I think of this because if you were to ask them, if they were to be here and all, all four of them, I say, hey, was that a place you wanted to be in? They probably would say no. We were better off in Jerusalem there with the rest of the tribe of Judah. And yet here we are. And maybe the place that you want to avoid is a place that God wants to unleash the work through you. Wow. Think about that. The place that you've been avoided, avoiding is the place that God wants to use you, wants to move through you. And I don't know about you, but I look at this accounts for my life. Again, I've used a lot of wisdom. I've had, I mean, I've, I've been a wreck in my past. But he says, Zeus, you have, you have a choice in life. You could either be a victim or you can be a conqueror. You can be a victim or you can be a conqueror. A victim says, I, the variables of this world are just ever, are the things that are going to uh, make me cause to, or I can say, you know what, I am a conqueror in Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 8 it says this, can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean no longer, uh, does he mean no longer, does it, excuse me, does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? No, it says. Despite all these things, overwhelmingly victory is through Christ who loved us. I think of that. Now here we are, the year 2020. But back then, Daniel... They didn't have Jesus at that point. The Jesus was very much in the work, but Jesus had yet to come into the world. And yet here we are, thousands of years removed, and we have the example of Jesus Christ because of what this word teaches us. And that's what leads us to our third point, third and final point. 
If we want to stand out, we got to have conviction. We got to have courage. And we got to stand out in Christ. So if conviction is the why, courage is the how, then the who is Christ. If you want to be great, friend, let me tell you this. Submit yourself to Jesus Christ. Be a servant to all. Friend, if you want to, if you want to follow him, then you have to admit him as your savior. If you, want to, if, you want to thir- if you don't want to thirst again from the things of this world, drink from his well. Because God is the authority. He is the pro- pro- uh, protector and the provider, and he's provided us Jesus. And John chapter 3 makes it very evident that God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That son being Jesus. Acts chapter 20, verse 24, as we begin to close here. It says this, and this is one of my life verses. And if you wonder why am I passionate, why do I get fired up, why am I what, the way that I am, it's because of verses like this that have stood out to me and allowed just to permeate the depths of my heart. But it says, but my life, or Acts chapter 20, but my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned to me by the Lord Jesus. The work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. We have, we've lost sight at times of God. And yet to me, I keep telling myself, my life is worth nothing to me unless I finish out the mission assigned to me. And I think one of the greatest tragedies of the times we're going through right now, and I see it all the time, is, in, is on social media. I've seen it on Facebook. I've seen people from our church get in arguments over petty things. Can I just say petty things, y'all? petty things, things that don't even matter, things that are, as, as it says in Romans, things that are disputable matters. And I've seen people get angry. I've seen people judge other people's hearts. I've seen, I'm not kidding you. I've seen people leave the church because of this. And one of the things I've told my staff, I'm like, look, y'all, like we, like, we don't always have to agree on things. In fact, I said this, and I felt God gave me this word. We can have diversity of thought but we could also have unity of heart. In other words, Jesse doesn't have to question my heart because I know he knows my heart. In other words, I don't have to question Jesse, Pastor Jesse's heart because I know his heart. Does that mean we always agree? Does that mean we always see things? I, I, absolutely not. But one thing we do know, I know his heart is good. And hopefully he knows my heart is good. So can we disagree every once in a while? Yeah, of course we can. But I'm not questioning his heart. Things that don't matter all that much to me I'm like mass or no mass man we're praising Jesus whether this was July 2019 or July 2020 I don't care like you you know where to find me every single Sunday right here in the front row praising Jesus because that's what matters my salvation is what matters the the holiness that I abide by that's what matters the mask hey that's what we got to do we got to do we'll do it but you find me right there and that's what I want this to be about. Because oftentimes, I mean, I feel like we're, to, to stand out, we're standing out for things that don't matter all that much sometimes. Like, think about it. Like, are, 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 here's, the, here's the thing. Are you opposing an injustice? <laughs> well, follow this. Are you opposing an inconvenience? And I wish, I wish this room was full right now. I know we can't be full, but <laughs> you'll get what I'm saying. But because I want other people to hear this. I think the people that are here, they're like, no, 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 I've already understood that. But this is what we're fighting for. And I was hanging out with my friend, Tim Lang, my new friend. We had coffee this week and he's been telling me amazing stories of what God has done in his life. And when I talk about an injustice, he told me of a young woman that he met on the mission field that was literally in risk of her life because she walked away 
from, uh, from Islam. So I can't return to my family. That's an injustice, y'all. That's an injustice. But he says this, he said this to me, he's like, Zeus, my absolute tr truth comes from a crucified life. My rights, I gave up at the point of salvation. I'm like, oh, wow, like you wanna talk about something that'll preach to you. Like, he says, that doesn't mean that God can't do something, that doesn't mean that God can't give me good things still. But that means there will be moments where I have to give up those good things in order to see the best thing. He says, God, a friend of mine told me, he's like, don't let something that matters more matter most. And so we talked and we said, you know what? This has gotta be the church's best hour. This is, this right now, what if this is our Daniel moment? Here we are, July 2020, River Valley Church, Shakopee Campus, you in this room, the 11 o'clock service. What is this, what if this is our finest hour to say, you know what? We're gonna respond in such a way that says we're standing out in conviction and courage and in Jesus Christ. Because that's what matters because when everything else feels like it's falling apart, when everyone else feels like they're arguing, we're saying, you know what? I know what I belong. I know what I'm about. I know the backbone that's inside of me. So, hey, while you are arguing, you know what? Those who are here, hey, get on my back. We're gonna do this, but we're taking this hill for Jesus Christ. We're taking this hill so that faith, so that the, the thing that we believe here is in, like still available to our children. We're not gonna sit on the sidelines. We're gonna move this forward. So my question, what role do you have to play in this? That mean you gotta spend a little bit less time on the news or off social media? Maybe spending more time bringing people in together? Because I really believe that a lot of these problems that we're facing right now, we're thinking that it's somebody else's responsibility, that it's the boardroom, that it's the pastor's conference table, that it's the politicians in Washington, D.C. And I tell you, it's not gonna be the board table that's gonna solve this, it's gonna be the kitchen table. The people that you are around, the people that you are influencing, the people that say, you know what? What, is, what really matters here? This beautiful thing, man, that's, that's garbage anyways. I can't put my trust in that. Put my trust in the things above. That's what I'm believing for in this place. So would you just bow your heads? We're just gonna pray right now and someone's gonna close out for us here. God, I, I thank you, Lord, that you are the one that brings conviction. God, I thank you that you are the one that brings about courage. God, I thank you that you're the one that gave us your son, Jesus Christ. And in a Lord, and Lord in, a, in a time that's ever so changing, in a time that's ever so expanding, Lord, I pray that we would do things the right way and not fall into this lie that sometimes where we try to do the right thing in the wrong ways, but Lord, we're saying, Lord, we submit to your process. God, we submit to this Daniel moment. We submit to standing out when everyone else wants us to argue and everyone else wants us to, get, to quarrel and get into argument. God, God, we're just saying, Lord, what really matters is you right now. And so Lord, we fix our eyes on you. We fix our eyes on you. Help us to stand out. This is our Daniel moment. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.